Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We're rolling along here. I'm excited we're, we're headed for your big race. Are you getting nervous? I actually was just writing about that. I am in sort of a weird, am I nervous, am I not nervous place. Um, honestly, I think if you ask me next, maybe not next week, maybe like next Friday when we're only a week out, I'll have a better answer for you because, uh, you know, as we've said on here before, as I said last week when we were talking about breathing, this race is at altitude and there's still just such a question mark for me around how I'm going to feel at altitude that I, I feel like I've kind of put my feelings about the race almost on hold a little bit until I get there, get a little acclimated and kind of have a sense of how my body is responding to it. So tentative optimism would be uh, how I'm feeling about it. Okay, cool. I actually did do a post uh, that said on uh, over on our site, consummateathlete.com, uh, where I was talking about uh, sort of trying to figure out the the blend of ambition and balance, which is actually the title of one of our older podcast episodes with Todoist's Becky Kane, where we talked about, uh, you know, how to kind of come to terms with you have an ambitious goal for this race, but you also do recognize like, hey, you're really just in this because it's fun. Like, why, you know, why am I racing? I'm racing because I like racing. Um, I'm racing because we really like the sport. I'm not getting sponsored. I'm not making a living doing it. Um, so there's, you know, a weird balance of, okay, I really want this race to go well, but also like, how can I get enjoyment out of it, even if it isn't? And if I'm starting to think about that, is that taking away from my ambitious goals with the race, uh, which I think has historically been my problem. I can't have both of those thoughts existing in my mind at once, but I think that's my, my goal for this race is to kind of find that line between giving it the hundred percent and like having a, you know, ambitious plans around it, but also being, you know, joyful about the fact that I'm just out there racing. Hmm. Sorry. Very philosophical. Very. Yeah. Oh, you think that's bad. Wait till you wait till you hear about my draft for my spirit of gravel article. Cause that one gets into the, uh, if a you know, tree falls in the woods kind of situation. So yeah, I've been very, very philosophical musings lately. Uh, what about you? I mean, we, we didn't actually talk about your coaching course last week, and I think part of that's going to kind of get into some of our rapid-fire questions later, but you were just at a coaching course in Ottawa for the weekend. How was that? It was good, yeah. Our friends at Ride Ottawa, who do a great job on their uh, clinics and group sessions in the Ottawa region, uh, which is, you know, a lot of, we have several listeners, uh, at least, at least, at least a couple uh, out, out that way. Uh, so definitely we recommend checking them out. Uh, but yeah, they invited me out for, uh, they were, they had brought uh, an instructor from, uh, what is it, BICP, which uh, I believe was part of IMBA originally, uh, and then has sort of gone off and Shams March has sort of taken that and run with it. Uh, so yeah, another coaching certification, but honestly, I, w I'm at a point in my career where it's great to get certifications and, you know, you get your little thing for the wall or whatever afterwards, what are those called certificates? Um, 
I guess it's not a diploma, but, uh, yeah, it's really just hanging out with other coaches. So it was really, it was a way to spend a long weekend. We were out in nature a lot, which also involved a lot of bugs. <laughs> I was going to say pros and cons. It's to sort that. of like camping though. Uh, so yeah, really, really, uh, and, and they're so enthusiastic too about coaching and, and, you know, that sort of stuff. So refilled I, the cup, I guess, and then also drained a lot of blood out of me. <laughs> It's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, you sh- I wish I'd taken a picture when he came home, just covered in mosquito bites. Uh, meanwhile, DW and I enjoyed a lovely weekend of runs and paddle boards and swimmies and whatnot by I, ourselves. I do see, I don't know if, I don't, I, I, I don't like these posts where it's like bugs are getting worse or, you know, I saw allergies are getting worse or, you know, it just seems like sometimes this is just like, you know, this like doom scrolling. The sky is falling. But I do think when we look at trends and equipment, it seems like the bug hat is is like the piece of 2023 like i don't know what was the la- accessory for last year what would last year be like tire inserts or something and then this year bug hat i like it so on our course you know even our instructor one of the the coaches who was there taking the course gave it to the cor- course instructor it gets complicated with coaching courses so i apologize but the person who was directing this course uh <laughs> was wearing a bug hat well just because the bugs were so bad and you can't concentrate and write on paper and do sort of this stuff uh but i'm seeing people everywhere wearing these you know they're hiking they're picking uh, someone was picking mushrooms or garlic or whatever i just it, i think it's the piece for 2023 all right you're calling it the hot new accessory uh yeah actually it's funny i said the same thing when i was on my run on saturday i think like every hiker i passed was wearing one which was odd because it wasn't even that buggy of a day um, it's the most basic thing. I guess it's everything comes in cycles, but I mean, this has been around forever. I don't know when the bug hat was invented, but I imagine it was a pretty early, you know, type of hiking gear in different f- ways and formats. But maybe, maybe there's been advancements now. It's like really integrated into the mm-hmm. brimmed hat or something. Well, I will say it started giving me like a lot of stress because we are spending our first few days in Colorado uh, camping. And I definitely started having like a moment of panic the other day of like, oh, geez, what if it's buggy up there? Um, hopefully it won't be. I'm, I don't really expect it to be. I don't think we're in an area that would be particularly like mosquito friendly. So I think we'll be okay, but definitely going to be packing our bug hats because we do have them. So, uh, definitely put them on our, on our pack list. But anyway, um, let's get into this week's episode. So our big question is, should I increase my training hours? And I mean, this is obviously like both a loaded question and a question that, you know, can have books written about it. And Mm -hmm. uh, the obvious answer, the caveat to all of this is it depends. Right. But should I increase my training hours? It it is a common question. Uh, I guess the other question is like, am I training enough would be like the other way this could be asked. Sure. And so I think I always like to come back to who are you and what you're trying to do and probably a little bit of, you know, can you, <laughs> right? Is sort I of the think question. that's the biggest question. We actually talk about that a lot in our, in our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, which I actually just realized the other day. I was like, holy crap, that's three years old now. Like we put that out back in 2020. Good job. Yeah. Us. Someone was selling it at the bike swap for the club on the weekend hilarious yeah and she said now she did read it it wasn't that she didn't like she was getting rid of lots of books okay yeah. i was gonna say if that was the only one i'm starting to feel a little little self-conscious <laughs> about that but uh well i mean she didn't just throw it in the garbage either it's i mean true. it's probably a compliment if someone thinks they might be able to sell your book true, secondhand true. right yeah so absolutely there you go so yeah becoming a consummate athlete a lot of 
a lot of clients and listeners have got it and thank you for those who have, have done that uh what is the what do we say in the book you were saying that well uh, i think our biggest thing is always like what do you actually have time for because i think the there's so many people that say like i want to increase my training hours or i'm going to increase my training hours and they go so far as to you know make the plan where the training hours are increased and then very quickly look at the calendar and oh, okay, this week I can't do the more hours and next week I can't do more hours and the weekend after that we have a, a work trip or a family vacation, so I can't do more hours then. So the doing more hours tends to be more of a um, esoteric, like you feel the the urge to do them, but it doesn't actually practically fit into your life. Right. So usually people end up, you know, the reason this like time crunch training or we say time limited training for trademark purposes, uh, you know, everyone ends up at eight hours. Why? Because you maybe get an hour if you're lucky, three to four days a week. And then maybe on the weekend, you do like a two and a three if you're lucky, right? Like if you're not at soccer practice all weekend. So that's two and three on the weekend is five, three, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, there's eight. Mm -hmm. So then we have some keeners who maybe get a sixth day in, you know, they get Friday, maybe Wednesday gets to be like a longer, you know, it's like the group ride night. So you get like it could be two hours, it could be three hours, maybe if you're lucky, but there's just only so many hours in the day. And so this is reality. And that's what most people are working with. Now, so there's that, that's just normal. So can you, and you might say, you know, some weeks I can get more. And this gets to the nuance, this question a lot of times when it's, I need to train 14 hours, or I need to train 20 hours, or I need to train 10 hours. What I am hearing is that someone doesn't really understand, like, you could call it periodization, I guess. So every single week you need to train 14 hours like that, that to me is that's almost, we need to ex unravel that whole ball of worms. So every single week, is that what you mean? I'm really concerned about this ball of worms. Ball that you of worms. Have. Yeah. It's messy. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> well, I'm not going anywhere near that. I'm well, first of all, I mean, when was the last time you trained 14 hours a week? I would say I'm not far off a lot of weeks, but I range between the point of this is that I range between say like maybe a race week might only be only be, you know, an eight or a 10. Hmm. Uh, my races are shorter. And then if you're the, the flip, some people have longer races. So like they might end up with like one of their biggest weeks on race week. Uh, you always joke about your hundred mile, uh, hundred. Yeah. The month of my hundred miler was the lowest volume month I've ever done. But, but the week was pretty big you the did you did a hundred mile week plus <laughs> a little bit <laughs> i was gonna say it was the biggest week i've ever done but the lowest month i've ever done which actually does demonstrate that point really really well so that was like a huge week in terms of my volume but the three weeks around it because you would have done two or three runs maybe the week of the race yeah exactly and even the day before even if they were unremarkable you did like three miles or something yeah exactly i think like the five days leading up was like maybe you know maybe like 15 to 20 miles so total. then what you could have done is post on instagram and say 120 mile week like amazing and then everyone would have saw that and be like molly does 120 miles every single week but and again. that's why she's you know fast and so this is a lot of times when this question comes it's someone saw on instagram or strava or something that one person you know often this is after a long weekend which is where we are right now so this guy goes out and does two five-hour rides and then no rides normally during the week. And then also has Monday off, so he rode then. So this guy rolls a 22-hour week. And then everyone else feels bad because they aren't doing 22-hour week. And this guy doesn't have, you know, he has kids and stuff. And he's still doing a 22. Every week he does 22-hour weeks. But that's not what he said. 
it might be what he's trying to like secretly make it seem like, but he might have not ridden at all the next four weeks, number one. And, and that's what I see on the back end is often illness, you know, uh, family stress, which we'll just, I always say divorce, but I'll say family stress, uh, health, uh, and then burnout, right? Like there's a cost to going too deep. It's just like when you start a race at a hundred percent, you know, it, the person blows up, but at the start of the race, it looks like they were winning. Right. So this is the rabbit in the hair. Uh, we can throw lots of metaphors in here with our ball of worms. And the problem is that if we try and... You also just said the rabbit and the hair. I, I just know. wanted to make that... Okay. <laughs> just wanted to make sure you knew. <laughs> Someone call this mixing metaphors. Some would say those aren't metaphors. <laughs> That's just two rabbits racing, dear. Uh, so... The idea then is that you're training for the long term and for this life you have and the goals you have. And you have to be, we all have to be very careful saying Molly did 140 mile week every week and that's how she did 100 miles. No, she just went and did the 100 mile week. And then every other week is much more reasonable. Well, and it's funny, I even needed you to talk talk me off this ledge this week because I was sort of like saying, oh, you know, everyone I know is like does these big you know, I, so I had my like big runs this weekend kind of in preparation for the Leadville Trail Marathon. So I had a 22 miler and a 14 miler. And you were saying like something to the effect of like, you know, you should be tired, like you should be feeling tired or like, you, you know, you, you should kind of like want to be done with this right now. And I was like, but I, all of my friends are doing these runs like every weekend and like all, you know, and then you were kind of pointing out like, sure some of them maybe some of the weekends mm. um, and also like what do the weeks look like and right right so this is the tricky thing and, and, and again you don't you're not judging people but i think you need to stay in your own like what's important with your family this is where the values we call these in the dan john sense we could look at the two decades the values that you have so if you have work goals and family goals you got to do that i always think well chris rock's quote isn't appropriate for this podcast but something to the effect of like you can do your work goals or you can do your training goals you can't do them both at the same time you can go look up what he actually said but that's what he meant yes he was definitely <laughs> talking about uh cycling as a master's athlete so that's for sure chris rock's main point uh, but i like i think it's a good reminder that i mean what like obviously we we say this time everyone says this and none of us actually like act on it social media whether we're talking about strava or instagram or any of those things is a comparison trap that we all easily fall into where the second we see someone else doing one long ride we extrapolate that to every day they're doing this long ride and now we need to be doing this long ride right. and so let's go from that so that's just be careful uh assuming more is better so then i want to know who are you uh and what are you trying to do so like does your goal like could it use more hours or are you actually missing um you know the the environment you know the context so a lot of times i'll see oh i'll just ride three hours on the trainer instead of going and mountain biking which might only be only be a 90 minute mountain bike ride but you're gonna waste quote unquote time setting up your bike and going to the trails uh, but I would bet on the person who does a really good 90 minute mountain bike ride, testing their inserts, testing their tire pressure, learning how to ride, learning how to jump. You if know, they're mountain bike racing. Experiencing the exact loads versus the person who spends three hours on the trainer, you know, sad, not in nature, not testing tires, not, you know, ever shifting, not, you know, whatever insert. They don't ever stand up like, you know, it just you would never bet on that person. So that's an well, you would never bet on that person to win a mountain bike race. You might bet on them to win esport world championships. 
Possibly, but I mean, maybe they're too slow. Like maybe they're going to get dropped at the front end of the, like I would probably bet on the mountain biker at the start, like assuming they knew how to do esports, they would probably tolerate the start of an esports race better unless the person on the trainer was also doing, but that's, this is an aside that's getting too specific. Um, so, so I think that's the only caution with time is time can be spent a lot of different ways apart from just like recording your heart rate and uploading it. If that, if that makes sense. So the specificity is important. Um, but if your goal is a, you know, endurance ride and you have more bandwidth, you have time, your family has time, then increasing volume is generally good. Like it's better than probably increasing intensity. In most cases, it's safer. Um, so there isn't really like, I think, sure, if you have space to increase it. So sometimes when people email, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize you could ride more. And you're just like staying to the letter of the plan too closely. Uh, your point about intensity there, I think, is worth mentioning, though, because, I mean, if someone – so you're saying if someone who's already on a training plan where there is an appropriate amount of intensity, so they're already doing, you know, one or two workouts a week and, you know, also these endurance rides. Mm-hmm. Flip side, uh, you have a lot of people who, you know, maybe are ju- – well, I'll, I'll say myself, like, I'm not an intensity person, right? Like until I was working with a coach, I would never have put intensity into my training. I would just go out and run or ride. And if I had more time, I'd ride more or run more. Uh, But I would never really add the intensity. So I think there's also the, if you're someone who, you know, is JRA, like just riding around, probably adding the intensity before upping the volume even more is, is probably... It would be worth considering for sure. Like even just one day, like you do yours on Wednesdays usually. And And I hate every Wednesday. Yeah. And then, so that gets again to this question of how you spend your time, because a lot of times intensity requires, maybe you have to get to a hill. Maybe you have to psych yourself up. Maybe there's different eating stuff. And then I always find I have to like went on my intense days. If I do them well, it usually like, I'm just not very functional for a while afterwards. So I have a more relaxing lunch and I try and just sit or take, you know, even just DW for a quick walk or something because, and you could say that's wasting time. Like you're, you're not working, you're not, you know, as effective. And and again, this is a, I guess a privilege to have that, but it is like, I could also do a three hour ride and do the intensity, but I often will just do 90, 75 or 90 minutes so that I have a little bit extra time to get back (laughs) to, you know, recover, take a nap even. And again, this is where, what, what would you bet on the person who turns themselves inside out for 90 minutes uh, or the person who does three hours and then doesn't recover and doesn't eat well and doesn't, you know, just feels frazzled. Which I think is the other good point about volume is if you are adding the volume, you do need to make sure you also have the extra time on the back end to recover from Mm -hmm. that volume. And that might mean extra sleep. It might just mean extra time for a snack in the afternoon, like that extra meal. And I don't think like your, your person going from like five to eight, I don't think that's like, that's pretty straight. Just like it's the time. Like, I don't think, I think in in there, like it's going to be beneficial. It's pretty clear, you know, again, unless you're borrowing time from sleep or family, that's going to bite you on the back back end so to speak uh (laughs) uh, or but i think when you go from 10 to 14 and certainly when you start creeping over that 14 this is adults again we speak to adults if you're an elite person thank you for listening but you know you, you probably have more bandwidth for this stuff but as adults who are getting older, who have other responsibilities, it is like where there's somewhere in there where just the eating requirements, the food preparation, the recovery, you're going to start finding that it's not just an extra hour. It's an hour plus a snack and an hour, but you're also not as functional. Like 
again at work you're tired you have to sleep more and if you don't again this is where on the back end in two weeks three weeks four weeks you're going to see people struggle with motivation illness or you know again some something's gonna break mm-hmm. so time there was a couple other points i had with time what else what else were we going with the adding time uh well my my note i had here was is it that you need to add more like tra- like hours on the bike or out miles on the run or do you need to actually add more strength mobility work versus yeah this is it yeah so So, is that could you do a good strength workout which again is pretty supported for even elites throughout the season certainly we know this is trendy i called that to be the one of the trends for 2023 was that like strength was just going to go even more you know mainstream and normal but a lot of us still aren't doing it mm -hmm. or we could be doing it more to get more benefit out of it yeah and I don't know how many times I've said this on the podcast, so apologies to the longtime listeners, but, you know, I do my 15 minutes every morning, you know, plus a couple like shorter strength sessions during the week. But, you know, that 15 minutes every morning is almost two hours a week, which is almost 100 extra hours of training per year. Sure, sure. And it's it's not easy. It's not like I'm just like laying on the floor and, you know. And, and I would tie walking in with that. I see walking as a, a deficit. Like this is low level cardio, but again, it's built in mobility, time in nature. Um, there, there's your social time. A whole bunch of benefit there. And I think a lot of adults would see improvements if they went two hours of strength a week. So you're saying 15 minutes a day and, and you could cut this up however you would like to cut it up. It could be two by one hour or four by 30 or, and it could honestly, I, I think probably even an hour of strength a week is probably lots. Uh, assuming you're pushing and it's getting hard plus walking and i think we would see a huge improvement in a bit of cardiovascular i would think way fewer injuries uh from the probably a lot from the walking the strength will help but i think the walking is going to be a big piece of that uh for the low back pain the ankle foot stuff we end up with uh hip flexor stuff is going to be addressed there shoulder stuff is going to like posture stuff (laughs) like it's just i I think it would be such a, a boon to most adults um, and it's really a pretty effective way to spend a couple extra hours in the week as well. And, and that could be on the back end of rides as a, a quote unquote cool down or extension. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I think the nice thing about that too is, you know, okay, now you're hiking, now you're, you know, out with your family even. So this is actually like, instead of going out for a seven hour ride on the weekend, you're doing maybe like a four hour and then you're doing like a two hour hike with your family and like, boom, now you've gotten the family time in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that we've kind of come to terms with in the last couple of years, even just for, for us as as a couple with a tiny dog, not, not even like thinking about kids, but, you know, we don't train together. So on weekends, like our time together is like those hikes and the walks mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not the, the training time. I think I've spoken about it. I really like the Saturday, uh, like in, in more intense ride. That could be a group ride for some people, but back in decent time. And then usually I'll have a snack uh, and then we'll go try and get out for a decent hike and get the dog actually onto like trails in the forest. He usually is for more town walks during the week. Uh, and that's like, it's, it get, feels tiring. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was pretty cracked. This yeah. Saturday. I don't know. Thank how, you. Yeah. We went, well, we went to the zoo on Sunday, the Toronto zoo uh, oh with our gosh. niece and Molly had done this 20 mile on Saturday 22. and then uh, a big <laughs> run right out of bed basically on Sundays. And I picked her up and then we went to the zoo and I'm struggling. And I, I just took Sunday completely off. Uh, yeah. So you got your steps in for sure. I think we walked, I think actually, yeah, our sister-in-law tracked, like, I think we walked about 10 K at the zoo. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, just crushing my, my Saturday and Sunday mileage here. So this is then hinting at periodization. So 
maybe you're usually an eight hour person, but then there's a long weekend. This is our long weekend block. Most clients will know this. Most training plans I build have these like once a month, you do a long weekend block. It's not always an official long weekend, but you take Friday afternoon off or you, you know, squeeze it in, you know, you get permission to go on Saturday and get an extra long ride. And then you do your usual long weekend. I think there's a lot of benefits. So that week maybe ends up being, maybe you get a five or six hour ride on the Sunday. So, so for most of us that quickly goes from eight, you add, you know, say six hours to your normal week. Like that's boom, 14, 15 hours. And then you take a rest week. So you've, you've felt, I say, I always say finish the block, big adventure to finish the block. And then you take a rest week and you feel like you earned it. Quote unquote, you don't have to earn your rest week, but you feel like you did. Uh, and, and I think that's the undulation we're looking for. Now, if you're racing, the problem is as Molly alluded to, like the, the, month of her hundred miler was one of her lowest weeks or lowest months of training. So what, what, what is implicit in that statement then? Well, just that your hours are much lower. Right. Cause you went really hard for one week. You did 120 miles or whatever it was at the hundred mile race, plus the like race week, you know, just maintenance workouts, whatever you want to call them. And then you had to take like two weeks of basically not running. Pretty much nothing. Yeah. You didn't have to, but you sort of should, right? Because it's such a, a big dose. And I think that's the the balance that you'll see again with those Instagram posters is one magical 25-hour week after never training or doing six-hour weeks before that, and then back to six-hour weeks or four-hour weeks or no training because of burnout, illness, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think that's, that's a great point. Uh, the other hours thing I was actually thinking about, especially with cyclists, is going to be the time spent on gear maintenance and like that stuff. And this is sort of the the boring stuff we talk about a lot, which is the laundry and the like, is your, is your bike in good shape? And I mean, if you're lucky enough that you can afford to have a mechanic that's regularly looking over your bike and doing sort of that repair reset after every race or, you know, after every like rough weekend where you're riding a lot in the rain, then great, that saves you a lot of time. But most of us are doing a lot of our own maintenance, uh, you know, dealing with whether it's trying to use vinegar to get the sweaty smell out of our clothes and like the time spent on any of that stuff and the time spent on gear maintenance on the bike. I mean, how much time have you spent putting, trying to put in like tire inserts and like, or changing tires out for racing, like any of that stuff? Sure. And I mean, you got to test tires. So, I mean, you should be, I should be doing it more than I am, but um, yeah, it's just the more you ride, the more you'd have to like clean your bike or lube the chain or whatever, pump the tires, even like all this stuff takes time. So yeah, I mean, that's part of it, right? It's, it's all this stuff just takes one hour is not one hour. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think at some point there is, as I say, like getting out the door, there's a requisite amount of time. So if you add 30 minutes to that ride, it doesn't really take you like that's just 30 minutes. I get it. But it is like as the ride becomes longer and longer and longer. And, and again, I think for adults working people, it's somewhere in that 14 ish. Um, there's just a bunch of extra stuff where it's you, you it, it just it's like a tipping point right where it's just exponential the time that it takes mm-hmm. because of you know you're stopping you have to stop to pick up water during the ride you have to again the molly said the maintenance the laundry the and then the, we went on to the recovery stuff uh it's just it, <laughs> it adds up and then you're just more and more useless i guess is the other thing <laughs> you know you, you can't pick your kids up or you can't uh yeah you just have low energy yeah. for other things right the cup is getting drained from other things mm-hmm. 
that's even forgetting like the physio, the massage, the chiropractic. The well, this uh, is where you got to fix that uh, that little click in your knee that's now starting. Now, did you have anything else? I have one other, the more practical side of this. Okay, hit us with the practical. Okay, so especially if you're following plans, I have, but I think this is probably true for most plans, workouts, coaches. Is generally you can extend a warm up and a cool down. So most workouts I build, it'll say something to the effect of warm up as long as you need to to do the main set. So, or it'll say 20 to four, 20 to 40, 20 to 60 minutes warm up. Maybe it includes three by one minutes, high RPM, something like this. So usually folks will, will pick the low end of that because we only have so much time. The reason there's a range and, and probably the workout duration that I put in, cause you have to choose one. And sometimes these structured downloads that are for Zwift and Garmin really confuse this. So I always say like, please read the description because it usually says 20 to 60 minutes warm up, And then the cool down looks a lot like that. It says finish the time or extend if you have more time or finish up to three hours, 20 to 60 minutes, cool down something to this effect. So usually it's up to 60 minutes, warm up and cool down. That's two hours. And then there's the main workout, the chunk that could take anywhere from, from say 15 to two hours, 15 minutes to two hours. So very quickly, this workout that might look like it's, you know, the shortest version of it is what, 45 to 60 to maybe 90 minutes could quickly bloat up to three to four hours if you chose to warm up and cool down a bit more. Right, right. And I think that's true of a lot of workouts or plans. If you see them and if you asked a coach and you were like, hey, I'm going to add 15 minutes to my warm up, they'd be like, why are you telling me that? Like, <laughs> does it take you, it probably takes you 15 more minutes to get to the climb you're going to do or the interval loop. Right. Like if you think about this in outdoor terms, this is why I don't like the structured downloads is because you have to go to the place to do the workout. Like just you're going to have to get there. I get it. Right. So it's the difference between 30 and 45 minutes isn't very much. But for the athlete thinking about it in these single workouts versus these big annual hours or weekly hours, let alone monthly hours, I think it makes a lot more sense when you're like, is it okay for me to do two hours instead of 90 minutes if I have time? Of course. Yeah, you're extending your warm up by 15 minutes and your cool down by 15 minutes, right? And you're doing that endurance pace, which is generally safe. So, assuming you have the time, given your values, your families, your work, your the time you have available, and you're not borrowing that time from your sleep and recovery and your family, then I think that's that's great. And that's what that looks like. Then is just extend the warm up and extend the cool down. Um, I think the only caveat is if you're listening to this and you're a runner, just be very cautious about extending by. Well, an hour. but like, I don't think it's different. I think it's just runners often don't think about walking as part of their training. Mm. But this is a Maffetone is big on this. Um, who Chris Johnson is very big on this. Who we had on the P- PT there from Seattle. Um, you can walk to extend your warm up, and you can walk to extend your cool down. And this is slow motion running or endurance you know for a lot of runners that would be endurance based you just walk vigorously uh and and that that counts that's great and and as chris johnson said his experience is that people clients runners are always resistant and then they actually really start like insisting on doing it they really like it because they get really psyched on the what they feel like during their run how they feel when they get back after that nice cool down and that just walking is great it is a great activity um so yes, but I think runners, you know, now we're looking more at probably mileage and, and impacts a little bit more than just time. It's not mm-hmm. quite that simple, but good yeah. point. All right, perfect. Do you think that covers our training hours? I think we pretty much hit on all of our key points. 
I think so. I think, but yeah, the, the big takeaways are just think about yourself and what you're trying to do and not, not about people on Instagram on, exactly. on long weekends. Perfect. All right. Before we get into our rapid fire, a quick word from one of our newest sponsors. We have Gooder sunglasses. I've been super excited about this. I bought my first pair of Gooders back in October. Just, I really wanted to see what the, the hype was about. And frankly, my, uh, my old cycling sunglasses were, uh, I don't take great care of sunglasses. Like, let's just put that out there. Like they're scratched to scratch to hell. Um, like a ball of worms. Like a ball of worms. <laughs> uh, just, yeah. Huge ball of worms over here. Um, so I was in the market for some new cycling sunglasses. Gooder has these very like nineties, like wrap, almost wrap around, like just big sunglasses. Um, I was super into them, got them, absolutely loved them. Honestly, I would say like they're on par with, I've tried a lot of like very expensive cycling sunglasses over the years, getting to test them when I was, you know, working more full time for different cycling magazines. And I would say these are on par with the best ones I've had. And I'm super excited. I actually just heard from one of uh, one of our friends of the show who got the sunglasses uh, because I had mentioned them a bunch of times, and she actually sent me a message about them and said, uh, you know, for mountain biking, they've been absolutely great. She hasn't had any issues with them. Like, they've been, you know, fantastic, whether you're, you know, out in the sun and then, boom, you're in the shade. She said the visibility has still been fantastic with them. So they're cycling ones cannot recommend enough especially if you are someone like me who wrecks glasses fairly frequently these are super reasonably priced uh, i think the cycling ones are 45 bucks us um and then they do also have like the 25 the classic 25 dollar pairs that are uh, just very great casual sunglasses still polarized still work super well um, i like that they have the giant size for the giant size heads among us which is me uh, so go for the, the bfg sizes if you have a a large noggin <laughs> and yeah i'm i'm just super super stoked on them for as someone who loves sunglasses and does not treat them very well it's nice to know that i'm not wrecking hundred dollar pairs if i do you know, toss them in my bag without putting them in their nice little flamingo fabric uh, little drawstring pouches. Side note, we saw flamingos at the Toronto Zoo yesterday. Flamingos are so cool as animals. Just the color is astonishing as someone who hates color. Um, but that's that's an aside. Uh, anyway, if you want to support us here at the Consummate Athlete and pick up a pair, Gooder is giving Consummate Athlete listeners free shipping in the U.S. on your first order. Uh, so you can go to Gooder, which is G-O-O-D-R.com backslash consummate and use code consummate to get free shipping. That's C-O-N-S-U-M-M-A-T-E. But head to the show notes to grab the spelling and the link. Uh, and good news, Gooder offers a 30-day money-back guarantee and 100% satisfaction. So if you get the cycling sunglasses and and you find they don't measure up, you can always return them and get a refund. Um, but I do not think that is going to happen because they're honestly super, super good. And they look pretty stylish as well. So find your pair at gooder.com backslash consummate. Use code consummate to get free shipping. All right. Rapid fire. Uh, on the note of increasing things, should I increase my cadence? This is not a question that I have ever asked in my life, nor will I ever ask, because my mm. answer is always going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> so rule of thumb, you know, you're riding, you should have a gear that you can accelerate from. So if you're in a very easy gear and you're a spinner, like a you know you, these people who spin at, say, 100 RPM, they're probably not going to be able to accelerate. Now, this is so context, you know, you can't 
just make a blanket like someone always is at 100 rpm because you, you have to see them like what type of bike are they riding uh, you know what what discipline mountain bike road are they on a hill are they on the flat are they going hard are they going easy so it's it's a very again it depends so much but i would say our, our rule of thumb especially if we're thinking off-road disciplines is you don't want to spend a lot of time in a gear that you can't you know move it up or down you can't accelerate so in a mountain bike you're pedaling 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 and then you have to surge to get up a rock you don't want to be in such an easy gear and this is very common folks will not shift or they'll be very adverse to muscular tension they'll be in such an easy gear and they'll try and stand up or pedal and there's nothing to push against so they'll lose their balance uh, so in off-road a lot of times you'll see people that are coming from road or triathlon or something like that where they've just always had this free cadence often not having to change their cadence and their gearing very often and then mountain biking is changing gearing and cadence constantly and dealing with less good uh, or less preferred cadences a lot of the time so you want to have something that you can always push on to accelerate but not so low like molly might use where it's like down in the 60s uh, 60s. 50s where you're barely you know you're almost just chugging along at slow motion and then if you tried to accelerate that it would sort of be like a bogging it's like in a standard car if you've driven a standard car you're in fifth gear and you try and floor it and you can't pass right the passing gear would be maybe more like the third or fourth gear uh, in a car. Uh, so you want a cadence again, or a, a gear that you can adjust your cadence to accelerate when, when that time comes. Yeah. Now here's my question. Cause I think about this, there's so many studies in running that are like, what's the, um, ideal, uh, R- RPM is not the right word for cadence. It's still cadence. Yeah. So what's the ideal, like, um, what is my word? Turnover, cadence, running form, stride. What you... Like the, the runner's stride. Okay. There's like the the two schools of thought. The one is like whatever stride you naturally do is the best stride for mm-hmm. you. And then there's like the varying studies that are like this is the optimal stride, which is your your cadence, your turnover, your distance. You know how long you're running, like how high your legs are going, right. you know, all that stuff. Right. And I think I tend to fall on the like whatever is natural for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in cadence with cycling, like you might've had a coach when you were younger. So for me, you know, I'm this very like g- gear grindy 50 RPMs person. I'm never going to be happy at a hundred RPMs. I'm never going to be happy at like the high end of like the, the average range people talk about is like 70 to 90 RPMs is sort of your sure. like, sweet spot. So do you think if someone is like the spinner, they should kind of think more towards the coming down to like 90 versus someone like me who should maybe think about coming up to 70, uh, but not having to like push myself to get used to 90. Well, and so we'll have Rob Gray on talking a bit about the way I'm moving with my coaching and, and what I've been spending the last couple of years on. Uh, and, and so the, uh, you're really hitting on this subject of the, or of the environment and, and thinking about the animal in the environment and how are they adapted. So before we say you must always do this skill with this certain form or run at 90 RPM or bicycle at 90 RPM, or I hear a lot of like 100 RPM, um, we want to see like, can the animal adapt to the situation? So if you're, if you, you, you were a triathlete, like it, the, the actual cadence you probably would pedal in an Ironman, like you, I'm speaking to Molly, uh, is probably it would be 70 or 80. Once you, once you get biking more and, and there's just no challenge to it. It's pretty steady. It's not hard to adapt as there's like little rises on the course. 
So you would probably be fine. And then you just want to ask, is this person doing what they want to do? Or, or are they keen on getting, you know, better? Do you know, do they want to go faster? Do, are they not able to respond to attacks? Is that relevant for this person? So you do have to be careful because it might just be fine and it might not matter. It might not be the lowest hanging fruit to go after. And, and certainly that's how I tend to think about cadence is it just probably isn't the thing. And then the person will probably adapt if, if you find like, oh, you just never do intervals. Like you're riding very slowly, like you're going to the coffee shop, you're a long, slow distance person if you put them in a situation where they're in a group ride or they're in a, you know, doing intervals, they might just actually use that cane. So it might be that the coach just hasn't, or the program hasn't challenged them and they may not care <laughs> to be challenged. Uh, but if they do, then that's where you would start looking at that closer. I also think if you're someone who is like set, like this is your comfortable thing, there's also the looking at what it is that your, what it is that your goals are in sport. Like for me, cyclocross is just never going to be something I'm good at because I'm actually terrible with the cadence changing. Like I don't like the, the need to do a lot of shifting and a lot of switching and a lot of spinning, uh, mm. depending on the time. And Same with running. I'm not really a like super speedy racer. I'm really good at long, slow distance because I'm very efficient with my like very like slow turnover running. I wouldn't say your turnover is that slow relative to your pace, but you've done a lot of stride work. David is big on strides for this purpose. There's a chance I lie a lot when I say that I've totally (laughs) done my strides that day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I think uh, that's an aside, but I I guess where I was going to go with that then is so the, one of the questions I got just recently was, okay, like I I always am at a hundred RPM, but I want a mountain bike race. And so if someone just asks you that question and you don't actually see them doing anything, then you'd be, okay, well, that seems high to just always be at 100 RPM, but that's probably not what's happening. So if you watch the person go into a mountain bike trail, they'd probably use a variety of, of cadences. They'd climb at a more moderate cadence. And then you just want to watch to see, do they actually choose 100 RPM when everyone else is racing away from them at you know 75 to 85 RPM? on their mountain bike hill then and they just look like they're on a and you can see these people if you watch a race just sit on the climb and watch you'll see the person who's not doing very well and is just seems like they're pedaling way too fast for how fast they're going and that's opposed to you know someone who's winning who might be up in 95 100 rpm while climbing on a smooth climb on a mountain bike you right can, we always say you'll if you watch Yolanda on an f race in a world cup right she's always spinning and we've spoke about that and it's like are you going to criticize her when she's winning the races maybe not right now if she loses a sprint which has happened and she was just wound right up and the person beside her beat her with a slightly lower cadence Right. So then was that person able to catch that gear and then put out more power? Right. You don't know. I'm not going to criticize her, but the person at the back of the race who's hiding from muscular tension by using 100 RPM going, you know, five kilometers an hour, uh, you know, three miles per hour. uh, That person, you might be curious about, could we start doing intervals where we're forcing them to use, say, 70 RPM for three by 10 minutes, something like that? And then would they actually not? quote unquote, hide from that with the very high cadence. And Mm -hmm. so that would be a a problem I would see. And then the other person would be they're spinning away at 90 RPM, they get attacked, and then they're jumbling their gears to try and keep up. And then that would be where maybe we could do something where we practice accelerating, and they might just start choosing a better gear to accelerate with, uh, rather than being already biased to that super high cadence, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, right? So they might choose to ride at 85, so then they can touch 120 and accelerate. Yeah. 
Do you think this is a problem for, like, what percentage of cyclists do you say have an issue with cadence? Because I think it's actually, pro- like, everyone listening to this probably is like, oh, yeah, I do have a problem with cadence. But I think it's actually a very low number that truly would be riding at a, like, cadence that doesn't make sense. Well, could could most people get better at, ch- and cadence is wrapped up with shifting and gear choice and, you know, I don't know. It, it's not very high. It, it's certainly not the lowest hanging fruit for mm-hmm. most people. Yeah. Yeah. And or it, it's a symptom of, you know, practicing more in a specific environment. And, and that environment is the piece. This is why I get a little like shaky when it's, you know, someone wants to ride the trainer to be more efficient is, okay, well, you're not learning how to shift or choose a gear given, you know, the mountain bike trail that you're on. So why are you in a bad gear? You know, you're caught out on the mountain bike trail. Well, it's because you're not seeing the cues in the environment the environment saying this is a slope and it just changed on you and you can't feel that you're not used to it right and, and how do you get used to it? well you put in you know eight years of of learning how to ride on a mountain bike it, it's you know so start accumulating that time well and that would be particularly like particularly what is it erg mode on the trainer where it's just going to keep you at the power no matter what the pedal right like, situation so that's, is. i think about erg is your only job is controlling the cadence but you do that by just increasing your cadence. You don't shift yeah, against Erg exactly. mode. It's a set load, a set wattage. Yeah. So it's a weird thing because you're yes, you can change your cadence, but if you're not shifting, then you I haven't actually learned how to do that on the road, like to respond to things. And a hundred percent, it encourages you to keep chasing a higher RPM. So I, I I have a pretty good cadence range, which is you know probably we should discuss that too. Like mountain bikers will be able to be pretty comfortable at say seventy to one hundred and ten RPM. Like metabolic flexibility for the bike. A little bit, right? Whereas your road athletes, you know, they have these very narrow cassettes and they always want to be shifting and they're always caught between gears. So this is is it a problem for you if if you ride the trainer and you find you get caught between gears or you're on a road ride and you start like freaking out and maybe you've thrown your bike because you got caught between gears and the cassette is stupid you're probably someone who has like who needs to work on speed skill and how do you work on that i would i would actually like put you in gears and not let you shift some uh outside and let the train just adapt and you had to almost single speed uh also probably doing drills where you're you know up in the classic say ride at 110 rpm for a minute you know or spin-ups or and then also working on the bottom end of that range, some lower RPM stuff as well. Uh, where was I going with that? Erg mode. Uh, it, sorry. And so to finish that thought, the, the erg mode, if you keep chasing higher and higher and higher, I would probably choose, say, 88 RPM if I was just working away. Maybe a little, if, as I go harder, maybe a little higher if, if there was no terrain to determine. Uh, but on erg mode, certainly you see yourself start creeping higher and higher and higher because you sort of keep. Ch- running away from the hard feeling by keep being on top of it. So mm-hmm. you will see folks who have spent a lot of time doing uh, indoor training ending up that's their comfortable cadence is up in that, those high hundreds, which is great. Like, I think that's great efficiency. It's not bad, but I think you want to think about it as can it, your flexibility, as you said it, um, you know, can you, can you tolerate working moderately at 70 RPM and a hundred at RPM? Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right. Last, that was not very rapid fire. Last rapid fire question. Uh, should I use flat pedals to get better at mountain bike skills? And this is such an interesting question because there are a lot of nuances. And I'd say like, if anyone has any questions about the, the mountain bike skill side of thing, definitely hit us up over at consummate athletes. We can do a whole episode on this easily, especially now that you have your, your, as you say, constraints led nerd outs about this stuff, but mm-hmm. hit us with the rapid fire answer. The yes, you should. 
Probably everyone. Uh, and that could take lots of forms, you know, your commuter bikes or your when you ride with your kids or if you have friends that, you know, aren't as quick, you know, aren't as racy and maybe they are riding flat pedals. Like, why don't you? Uh, fat bike would be another like just non-negotiable. Like just it's, it makes so much more sense to have your warm boots on and uh, use flat pedals. Uh, you know, you're walking around in snow. You're walking a lot of the time anyhow. So why even bother with it? Um but from a skills perspective, it, it's great feedback. Like it does give you a lot of feedback on if you're doing things right. And then of course, safety is, is augmented. You start learning to put a foot out instead of putting your outstretched arm out. Uh, but things like wheelies, wheelies like and manuals, I, I don't, I'm sure people have learned them with clubless pedals. They might've been 10 years old when they learned though. Uh, I would say it's, it's a game changer to start using flats for that. Uh, and then I have an article as well up on the site that I wrote a while ago. And, and sort of my contention is that most people should use flat mountain bike pedals and SBD like mountain bike clipless uh, and, and probably optional on the mountain bike clipless. If you don't want to ever use clipless, you don't have to. If you're, you know, certainly if you're not racing, uh, I don't think you need to. Uh, but what the the ca- catch there is that the road clipless, I don't see a reason for most people to use it. Now there's snowflakes with, you know, the bike fit is easier with uh, the road clipless. But I think if your goals are in off-road, what that's telling me is you never get off your bike. And in most race situations, there will be a time you need to get off your bike. So you're not adventuring is what that's telling me. And then I also get very concerned about the clipping in, clipping out, which is one of the big criticisms of clipless pedals. And I think some of it is we get too many ways that we're clipping in and out is not the same. And indeed, if you're thinking shorter cross country or cycle cross racers, which a lot of our listeners are, I just would never change the way that I clip in because it is very important to start well uh, and get clipped back in, in in cyclocross, right? There's also those extra little bits in cyclocross where you have to get clipped in and out pretty explosively and quickly. So I just Mm -hmm. wouldn't personally change it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I also just will add the, Mountain bike shoes are just generally more comfortable than road shoes in a lot of times. Like very few situations have like it's very hard to find a wide toe box shoe for for road. And if you're someone you like so? me, yes. There's definitely like fit. Like again, I, there's snowflakes out there and I get it. And if you're someone like Italian leather or you have a, a different fitting situation, kudos. Like it's completely fine. I'm not judging you, but I think if you're an off-road person and you're just coming from a world where someone said, here's a road bike and here's some road clothes, but like just reflect as you go into buying more stuff, would you rather have two pairs of shoes for cyclocross and stage racing and uh, indoor outdoor, you know, in the winter, I love having my indoor set of shoes and then my outdoor set of shoes. Cause the one set is always soaking wet and muddy. Uh, there's just so many upsides to it. Uh, and again, you're also going to have to buy flat pedals, which if you get a decent set, which you should are not as cheap. And then also a flat pedal shoe, which is also very important to the success on flat pedals also is, you know, the price of shoes. So it just, at some point you have to make a choice and most of us are not racing tour de France or, you know, maybe track recycling or these things where the, the shoe is more part of that uniform and sport and more important to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's great. And we'll maybe link to that article and, I think we have like the flat pedals we like and all that stuff in there. So you can check that out over at consummateathlete.com. And again, if you have more questions, definitely hit us up over at consummate. Yeah, we can go really deep on the the flat pedal debate if someone wants us to. Yeah, exactly. Hey, if someone wants to fight Peter about it. There you go. We can have a full out debate. Yeah, let us know your, your criticisms of flat pedals if you have them. 
All right. With that, we will say goodbye for this week. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, if you leave us a rating review, that's super, super helpful. And if you have any more questions, find us over on Instagram at consummate athlete and on the website, consummateathlete.com. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to the consummate athlete podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.